friends, and welcome to our fourth episode of Yogis, Swamis, and Swindlers, a podcast for the inner explorer. With me, your host, Ramgiri Baba. Thanks ever so much for joining me for today's podcast entitled Lovers of Wisdom, Harmony, and Balance. We're still working on building up the big picture viewpoint, and hopefully you've enjoyed the previous episodes where we have laid some of the foundations of this particular yoga philosophy. I hope that at least some bits of what we discuss absorb easily into your brain and become part of your reality. Remember, it's philosophy which provides the direction to your yoga practice and your life. What we are discussing here is just a particular viewpoint about yoga, a specific philosophy that not all yoga systems or yoga practitioners might share. Remember that yoga has been around for three or four thousand years or possibly longer, and over that time yoga has branched off into countless different viewpoints, approaches, and philosophies. We discussed viewpoints, personal philosophies, and how we got them in the first episode, and hopefully you have reflected on your own worldview and philosophy, and recognized how it shapes and forms your existence. What I share with you in these podcasts is a particular way of approaching and interacting with the yogic wisdom that was passed on to me by my teachers and gurus. It's not really a philosophy that has a name to define and limit it, like Advaita Vedanta, Kashmiri Shaivism, Sankhya, Mimamsa, and the countless other schools of Indian philosophy. This approach to the wisdom knowledge is more of a compilation of useful and profound ideas rather than any strict or prescribed philosophy. The hope is that by learning some of the concepts of yogic wisdom, a person can live a more flowing and aware life. It's what I call practical philosophy a wisdom which guides us in everyday affairs of life and the multitude of situations that we face as we live it. For many of us, classical philosophy can be quite complex and mind-bending and hard to grasp and often feels somewhat detached from normal life. After all, many philosophies work with very big topics like the reason for existence, the origins of the universe, and other equally massive concepts, but they don't often descend down into practical tools for living. For most of us, any traces of philosophy we gather generally need to fit into our lives in a way that helps us to simply live better. And that is exactly the philosophy that I am presenting here. An approach to life that is useful, practical, accessible, and wise. My favorite wisdom concepts, which are the little sayings and maxims that form the essence of the teachings, always fall into the category of easy to remember, hard to forget. To me, this is proof of a concept being endowed with power and wisdom, It's the kind of idea that makes you pause to reorganize your reality as the wisdom sinks into your cells, but once it gets in there, it stays without effort. Wisdom concepts often provoke a reaction like, wow, I never thought of it that way before, but it makes total sense. No uncomfortable digestive time is necessary to absorb the wisdom. It sinks straight into the cells and takes up residence as part of you, naturally and easily. This wisdom can be likened to honey, which in Ayurveda is considered pre-digested and does not have to go through the normal channels of the digestive system in order to nourish you. It skips the entire time-consuming digestive process and enters directly into your tissues. I feel like the good bits of the wisdom are like this. They effortlessly enter us, nourish us, and support our growth and flourishing with no struggle with understanding. As is my want, I prefer to go back to the source to discover the origins of things, which can often bring new light and insight to what is being examined. 
In this case, if we look at the origin of the word philosophy, we find it comes from the Greek words philo and sophia. Philo meaning love and sophia meaning wisdom. So instead of philosophy being a mind-melting exercise in logical reasoning and speculation, it is, at its core, a love of wisdom. That's what it's really there for, to help us fall in love with wisdom and the way of life that is based on harmony and universal principles. True yoga philosophy is wisdom and love. So given this definition, we can all be philosophers, because true yogis are all people who are in love with wisdom. This approach also removes philosophy from its usual dwelling place in the head and seats it firmly in the heart. One would think that philosophical thinking comes from the head, and the image of the absent-minded philosophy professor comes to mind. A person living in a world of ideas in his head, brilliant in his field, but who can't find his spectacles because they are on top of his head. Instead, philosophy actually lives in the heart. And its test of validity comes from the higher feelings that the heart generates, not the logic of the head. We know its wisdom when we feel its truth, when intuition and heart intelligence informs us of its validity. The yoga understanding of the human being actually places the mind in the heart instead of in the head. To me, that seems like quite a revolutionary concept. Anyhow, I was talking to you about the approach of this particular take on the wisdom of India, this philosophy that forms the heart of these podcasts. My main teachers are people who embrace both the deep spiritual life and practical healthy living based on wisdom. Sometimes spiritual life can seem quite detached from ordinary life, and with good reason. Sometimes spiritual people don't want to participate in the life that is lived around them. They would rather transcend this mundane plane and live up in the clouds, while the rest of us live ordinary lives down here in the mud. Often the ordinary and the spiritual are seen as separate paths, but in this philosophy the two are actually one. Spirituality can be seen as simply living in harmony with natural rhythms and flows of reality. It does not have to be esoteric or otherworldly. Regardless of how you decide to live, the most effective life is one that flows with reality and is in tune with nature. And this is the fundamental tenet of this particular philosophy. Spirituality is being in flow. And being in flow is naturally spiritual. In fact, it's so spiritual that it does not feel spiritual because you are just living cleanly and naturally without overthinking. You can take that one as a working wisdom concept for yourself. Spirituality is living in flow. I don't know about you, but that certainly works for me. It bursts the normal boundaries of what is spiritual and what is not. The source of this wisdom borrows much from the intelligence and life-affirming approach of Ayurveda, the Indian medical system which is designed to heal disease, but is also, and primarily, invested in how to prevent disease in a person and how to help people live well and in flow. Preventing disease, which requires living in harmony and flow, is actually profoundly spiritual because it elevates us to higher states of functioning and feeling. Living in flow is actually the state of living in harmony with ourselves and the world in which we live. It is being in connection. This is healthy, and this is spiritual, and this is the essence of Ayurveda. I love Ayurveda because it treats our whole being, not just our body. Our energetic health is as important as our mental and spiritual health. Ayurveda gives you the tools to heal and harmonize all parts of your complex being. Ayurveda is such a profound source of wisdom and healing precisely because it asks us to adjust our lives and our attitudes to reflect the cosmic harmony. The wonderful thing is its accessibility and usefulness to each and every person, regardless of their state of being. Ayurveda is based on healing, and to heal is to be whole, and to be whole is to be in the yogic state of connection. 
That is why my primary teachers are both bhaktas, devotees of wisdom, and followers of Ayurveda, which is actually one and the same. In this philosophy, there are also strong currents of esoteric tantra, Vedanta, and other wisdom traditions that my teachers have gathered and passed on to me. I'll also eventually tell you more about these particular teachers and how I met them. Believe me, there's some good stories in there. Anyhow, I wanted to tell you a bit about the source of this approach because it's quite unique and defies any strict categorization about what is or isn't. It's an open, human, accessible, and intuitive approach to wisdom that is designed to be useful and approachable to all philosophers like yourself, all lovers of wisdom. So the essence of wisdom is being in a state, as much as possible, of balance. There are so many levels of our being, and in order to live in a higher state of existence, we need to try and be balanced on every level. But what is it to actually be in balance? As we usually do, let's go straight back to the basic and simple, the foundation of our lives, which is the physical body. According to yoga, to be physically balanced, we need the right combination of stability and flexibility. Our tissues need to support us and provide stability so that the body can function consistently day after day. Stability is one of the core qualities of a healthy life, because our organism needs consistency. It depends on the quality of stability to carry out its daily functions that life depends on. For example, we require consistent and stable respiration to power our bodies and minds. For this reason, cultivating regular breathing patterns is part of maintaining health. Likewise, we need consistency and stability in our digestion, our heartbeat, our elimination, and countless other functions. When we don't have this dependable regularity, our organism experiences a state of discomfort and unease called dukkha, which is an effect of being out of balance. This situation then results in stress, which is actually our organism reacting to imbalance, which causes a person to spend energy in its attempt to steer the situation back to balance. We will speak more about stress in another episode. At the beginning, one of the things that we cultivate in yoga is the stability of the physical body. This generally refers to building the strength of the muscles, tendons, and ligaments, all of which support our skeleton and thus our entire body. When we don't have enough stability, which in this case refers to the strength of our muscles, our bodies will be out of balance because one of the fundamental requirements of the body is not being met. Certainly, one of the basic goals of Hatha Yoga is to build up a strong and stable body that supports our physical movement and the structure of our bodies, which then positively affects all the other systems of the body that rely on stability. As usual, working on the fundamentals like the physical body has a knock-on effect that benefits the rest of the organism. For example, one of our essential areas to create strength and stability in the body is the core. By the core, I mean the muscles of the abdomen, lower back, perineum, and deep hip muscles, all of which serve to physically support our body and all of our movements. If we move intelligently, all of our muscular actions first begin at the core. That is our muscular center that needs to be supportive and active if our movements are to be healthy. When we don't have a strong core or don't use it properly, the rest of the body must do the work instead, which can cause stress, injury, or even energy loss. Lack of a stable core causes imbalance on a fundamental level, but this can be rectified if we work in yoga to develop a strong, dependable, stable core. You can discover whether you have good amounts of stability by practicing the major yoga poses and building up your strength in all major muscle groups. All poses require some sort of muscular activation, 
But a number of poses are really stability poses, in that they require us to develop muscular strength in order to perform them. If we don't have enough strength to do a pose, it is a sign that we have work to do in those particular areas. Poses that build up good stability are such asanas as plank, chaturanga dandasana, crow, bakasana, handstand, urdhva mukha vrikshasana, boat, navasana, and all the other arm balances, core strengtheners, and inversions. When you can do poses like crow or handstand comfortably, though it is always an effort, it is a good sign that you have reached a level of muscular stability and are moving your way towards physical balance. Being strong is not the only quality that is essential for physical balance, however. The other major trait that balances out strength is flexibility, which is essentially having long and loose muscle tissues. Many non-yogis think that yoga practice is just stretching and that yogis are a bunch of people that don't seem to have any bones in their bodies because they are so loose and flexible. This is, of course, not the case. Flexibility is only one aspect, among many, of being balanced and being a yogi. Flexibility is adaptability, and in order to navigate life successfully, we need to be adaptable when necessary. Physically, it is essential to be flexible because life does not work in straight lines. Our movements are, hopefully, quite varied, and with a flexible body we can be comfortable in a variety of physical shapes and situations. Personally, I've benefited greatly by being flexible because, as a yogi traveler, I can find myself in situations where I have to be quite adaptable. The example that comes most immediately to mind is traveling in India. India is a very crowded country, especially when it comes to transportation. Sometimes the place you want to go can only be accessed by bus, and Indian buses can be, quite literally, a free-for-all, where there always seems to be room for yet another body on the bus. You don't get any reserved physical space that usually comes with your ticket on buses in other countries. If you're in your seat and more space is needed, you just have to move over to make room for the new commuters. This can mean you get squashed into the tiniest of spaces sometimes, and you're often compressed into small spaces for hours at a time, sometimes even overnight. In these situations, the flexibility that yoga has given me has served me well, for I am adaptable and more likely to be at least somewhat comfortable being mashed into a tiny space for hours at a time. Those of you who have traveled in India know exactly what I'm talking about, and those of you who do yoga know how practical and useful it is to be flexible. The point being that flexibility provides us with space, and space allows us to be comfortable. Even when there is little actual physical space available, the flexible person still has internal space available to her. This holds true not just on an Indian bus, but in the moment-to-moment -moment living of life. If our muscles are loose and flexible, we have space and freedom, and thus we have more comfort and less stress. A person who is not flexible might have a nightmare of a time on the same Indian bus and spend the entire trip in a state of uncomfortable constriction which leads to a stressful ride and usually results in lasting discomfort even after the trip is over. Our bodies need flexibility so that we can adapt to the multitude of situations that happen to us every day. This flexibility starts in the physical, but it teaches the rest of the organism about being adaptable and flexible so that we can continually adjust to circumstances and stay in balance. When we cannot adapt easily, we go more easily out of balance. If this situation becomes chronic, we remain in a continual state of imbalance, and disease can be the eventual result. So, the first efforts at being in balance through yoga require you to balance your physical dynamics of strength and flexibility. This, once again, takes us back to the Swadhyaya self-investigation practice that we did in the previous episodes.
I hope that you have some insight into the state of flexibility and strength in your own body. Are you generally a more flexible person, or a stronger person, or a bit of both, or a bit of neither? What areas are you flexible in, and what areas are you strong in? Are you applying wisdom to your practice to bring yourself up to speed in your weak areas by paying attention to the parts of you that need special attention? Are you strengthening your weak areas and working on the flexibility of your tight areas? I hope so. Remember that in bodies that have too much strength and stability, it is difficult to adjust the shape of the body and to move freely. Your health depends on good physical alignment. The body functions at its best when our alignment, which you could call posture, is balanced and harmonious. The better our physical alignment, the better our health, because we are in a state of balance. Good alignment is dependent on the balance of strength and flexibility that yoga cultivates. A person who is not flexible is stuck in a limited range of possible movements, and often they simply cannot change the shape of their alignment because the muscles will not let them. Conversely, the person who is over-flexible has trouble finding their true alignment because there are simply too many possible choices of shape for their body. This is also a state of imbalance. Both situations present their own unique challenges to the individual who seeks balance. During your yoga practice, you can get a direct experience of being in balance when both strength and flexibility have been established in your body. When we first begin the exploration of yoga postures and the process of balancing the body, the asanas can be a struggle. Each posture can have its individual challenges, and the areas that need work are starkly laid out in front of us. They are impossible to ignore because they are the areas that prevent us from experiencing the state of balance that each posture has at its essence. For each posture, eventually, is a unique dynamic of balance between strength and flexibility. When we get it right, you experience the pose in a whole new way because you are experiencing the state of balance. This is an entirely different feeling than when we are working on the posture and bringing our weak areas up to speed. It's difficult to describe the subtle but profound feeling one gets when a posture is truly balanced. It's like a state of grace. Everything is in its place and doing what it needs to do. There is an energized harmony within you that is like nothing else. There is a sense of presence, connection, freedom, peace, and clarity. The breath moves freely and calmly. The mind, which is seated in the heart, please remember, is open and spacious, the body fully alive. Basically, this is the state of being that yoga practice is designed to take you into. It is a direct experience of spirituality and connection with yourself that profoundly changes the way that you live your life. Being in balance is the reality that the yogi seeks. This is the first stage of the yogic transformation that can eventually take you to the outer limits of consciousness. But it all starts with the cultivation of balance and harmony in the physical body. Anyway, let's come back to Earth for a bit longer and continue on with our discussion. In the perspective of Hatha Yoga, the main reason for doing the asanas is to correct our posture and the alignment of the skeleton. All the systems and functions of our body are affected by the shape of our physical body, which is determined by the alignment of our bones and skeleton. Muscles move and also stabilize bones, and the state of our muscles determines the shape of our bodies and our posture. The posture then directly influences the functioning of the systems that keep us alive, such as respiration, digestion, immunity, the nervous system, and pranic impulses, our energy, the state of our minds, and thoughts, and so forth. Whew. In short, our posture has an effect on our entire being, 
because the body is the container for all the essential functions that keep us alive, and the shape of the container determines the quality of the functions that exist within it. Sorry if that sounds a little bit complicated, but I hope you get it. It is essential for health to be able to adjust the body's posture and the alignment of the bones. Ultimately, we want to refine how we hold our posture so that we remain in a state of alignment as much as possible, particularly when standing, walking, and sitting. The yoga practice is there to help us move our bodies into states of alignment called asanas. A refined yoga system will have particular ways of creating the alignment of the asanas, which then help us to develop our structural integrity, posture, and energetic flow. The mountain pose, Tadasana, for example, is the ultimate exercise in alignment. Mountain pose is not physically difficult. It puts no great pressure or challenge on any part of the body. It should feel quite natural. But the challenge is to work on the subtleties of the alignment and refine the shape of the posture. Quite often it's an asana that is overlooked and underused because it does not appear to hold any great challenge or do much at all. After all, everyone can just stand up on their two feet, right? Right. But Tadasana contains many valuable lessons on the alignment of the bones, ones that we absolutely need to learn if our yoga is going to be truly transformative and balancing. A good example of the importance of posture is the situation in the chest and upper back. If a person is tight or weak in these areas, it will affect the posture. This usually shows itself in a rounded or kyphotic curve in the upper back. Basically, it's called slouching. This slouching prevents the lungs from expanding and contracting properly, which obviously affects the respiration and breath flow. When the breath does not flow easily, the organism experiences stress and energy loss, and, once again, all the other systems are negatively affected. In this case, which is quite common, yoga can be used to bring the person back into balance through re-engineering the muscular balance of strength and flexibility in the chest, which then affects the bones, which then affects the alignment. Bringing the skeletal alignment into balance allows the entire body, energy, mind, spirit complex to function happily and in harmony. What happens in the body then opens the doors to similar things happening in the more subtle parts of our being. The process of Hatha Yoga is a step-by-step -step refinement of ourselves. Eventually, the balancing of the body will affect a person's energetic dynamics and the flow of their life force and prana. Changing the way the prana flows is, according to the methods of Hatha Yoga, the primary and most important goal of yoga practice, at least in the beginning. This energetic change will lead to the higher experiences of yogic consciousness, which is not only the stuff of legends, but is also an acknowledged reality and a result of refined yoga practice. Let's definitely talk about yogic magic powers in a later episode. So, I hope you got some insight on the nature of your physical yoga practice and why it's so important to balance the strength and flexibility of your muscles. Knowing the inner workings of yoga can help you to progress faster and more efficiently and aid you in moving more directly towards your goal, rather than wandering aimlessly through the vast maze of yoga practices. Next episode, we will continue on with our discussion of inner balance and look at other parts of your being we can balance and harmonize and what effects that balance might have. I hope you have enjoyed the podcast so far. I expect that they will gradually become more refined and change over time, just as our yoga changes and refines over time. Life is yoga. Even podcasts are yoga in their own particular way. 
If you enjoy this podcast, please, please, please like and follow the show. If I know people are listening and interested, I'll keep making them. So if you have feedback or comments, kindly send them to me because I do like to know your reactions and feelings about the show. I even take requests, or if you want me to speak about something in particular, I'm happy to do that. And if you know anyone who might be interested in yogi swamis and swindlers, please do share it with them so that they too might benefit from some yogic wisdom. Thank you so much for listening. Until we meet again, this is Ram Giri Baba, wishing you a life of balance, harmony, clarity, self-knowledge, and long hamstrings. Hari Om Shanti Shanti Shanti. Shanti.